0: Hi everyone and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. Joining me today is data reporter Alicia Hagopian and Rob Lewis, co-founder of Celtic Financial Planning. We'll be discussing the FCA's latest financial lives data, which looks at consumer approaches to investing and financial services across the UK.
1: Yeah. So just to get started right in it, um, a key finding in this latest survey is how the general public actually feel about financial advisers in the UK. And the answers might not be what we would expect, I think. So in the survey, less than half of UK adults trust advisers to act in their best interest and only a fifth think that financial advisers are unbiased. So, Rob, as an adviser, what do you think of this?
2: Yeah, I'll be honest, I was quite shocked by that. um, How how bad it was, I suppose. I know there's certainly trust issues. And from a financial planner's perspective, that is one of the biggest hurdles we see with clients is, you know, them putting their trust in us to give them good advice. But for it to be so low, I I was genuinely surprised by it.
1: People who don't receive financial advice, the trust levels are extremely low. And I think that that really contributes to the advice gap. I think that that obviously prevents a challenge to then all advisors who are seeking to gain new clients. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you think that advisors can do to to fix that.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think from the survey, was it 20,000 people that were questioned? So it's it's a, it's a good yeah. it's a good base, isn't it? It's not yeah. like we've asked 100 people and that's been the uh, the outcome. So I think the big thing that financial advisors can do and already do within meetings is financial education. And I think this is where social media is perhaps a really good tool because we can have a global reach effectively, certainly a national reach to help um, instill confidence with clients. Because to be fair, the industry has come on a long way. And I think unfortunately, when clients answer those surveys, they're probably still getting uh, blinded by, you know, past scandals, whether it's the banking crisis, whether it's maybe stories of mum and dad who trusted an advisor with their pension funds and something happened. So I think it's more legacy that's still... um, giving people that impression that you can't trust a financial advisor because as I say the profession today and clearly this is probably what we're going to be talking about has come a long way and is now at a really high level I I would argue Mm.
0: you mentioned social media there um where do you stand on the sort of promotion of regulation regulated advice as well because that's obviously a key um a key point of concern particularly with social media promoting unregulated advice unregulated advisors um How do you think that professional bodies, such as whoever it be, the FCA, the PFS, the CII, goes about promoting regulated advice and stressing that to the consumer?
2: Yeah, it's a good point, Zach. And I would say this is probably where the regulator has got better in recent times. So I believe they've already started to contact influencers on social media platforms to sort of say, you are promoting a a financial instrument here and you need to be careful, you need to be regulated. So I think that's got better, but it certainly has done damage. If you look at um, COVID and the first lockdown, when I took to social media, as probably a lot of people did, to find a bit of entertainment for the videos, it was absolutely bombarded about cryptocurrencies and how great they were and how you can get rich quick. So we certainly need regulation to get tighter on on that aspect and really for things to be clear between the difference between regulated advice and non-regulated advice, because the difference is huge, you know?
0: Yes. And I know, I mean, we talked about social media there, but I know I've personally covered a lot of stories where, um, you know, trusted entities, trusted bodies have promoted unregulated advice. It's not just um, unsuspecting clients that can be caught out. These are, you know, serious, um, serious, points of concern really
2: they are and I think this is where and it's very timely we've got consumer duty that's coming into force um, a couple of days ago now uh, and and that's uh, you know one of the cross cutting themes there is making sure that we're not putting consumers at harm and certainly non regulated investments unless there's a really good reason you would argue is putting clients at harm so hopefully that gives the regulator more teeth to come after those regulated firms that have promoted non regulated schemes because let's be honest let's let's face the facts they've pretty much only done it because they've been able to earn more money from it
1: Mm. I mean I think it's an interesting point you made about social media and I'm curious let's say the professional bodies or the FCA how do you think that they can be better using social media to raise awareness about financial services and your rights for example
2: I I think the immediate thing they could do is little video clips explaining what regulated advice is and what to look for and what to avoid and what not to look for. You know, it's as simple as when I do financial education um, workshops in workplaces, the big thing I always say is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, So it's those little mini clips that they can perhaps put out there. And I would say targeting social media and targeting the younger audience is the right way to go about it, because when those young people come into the workplace and start having money to invest money to save thinking about pension planning if they're getting that education early doors then it's going to help them in 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 the future
1: i think it's interesting that you brought that up actually i was going to come on to this later but some something from the survey as well was that they found that actually young people under age 25 have higher trust in financial advisors than people at retirement age currently and you mentioned that as well, which which is a positive thing. It's definitely a positive thing for advisors. But you mentioned some legacy problems and uh, maybe scandals that there were in the past. Do you think that those days are behind us?
2: Yeah, I, I think younger people probably ha- have less biases than maybe their parents when it comes to scandals, because most scandals are becoming more historic. You know, if you think back with um, the Robert Maxwell days with the pension funds collapsing, you know, We've got a generation now that don't know anything about that, uh, and, and that will continue over time, I, I would guess, as long as we don't go backwards with, um, you know, the advice process.
0: And, you know, we mentioned um, about a regulated advice and, and whose responsibility it is to promote regulated advice, but also promote um trust in advisors basically um do you think though where do you think that burden falls in terms of professional bodies involved because of course we've seen a lot of um we've seen a lot of debate around the pfs and the cii recently uh, bodies that represent advisors and bodies that are generally responsible for um promoting um good advice and promoting good awareness of advice um where do you see this responsibility falling
2: JFK quote now, Um, and this might be relevant. You might be laughing, you might not, but it's it's and the quote is the the, um, don't ask what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think we all have to own this, whether it's us as financial planners, whether it's you as reporters, whether it's the PFs, the CII, the FCA, we all have to own. the integrity and the professionalism of this industry. So we should all own it, should all play our little part, whether it's a little TikTok video, whether it's a big publication, a TV advert, whatever it might be, we should all get involved to illustrate how good financial planning can be for clients. Because in my experience of being in the industry for 18 odd years now, it's life changing. Some of the differences, whether it's, you know, helping a young family with some income protection or helping a client retire early, we make a huge difference when it comes to money management so we we need to get that ratio of clients who are advised compared to not advised much higher
1: mm-hmm.
2: that was my rally call then
1: oh, i was inspired um, <laughs> but That's i mean it. i i definitely agree with you but i think on the other hand there are the fact is that there are some advisors out there who are less than trustworthy and have given bad advice in the past whether intentionally or not would you agree with that
2: there has been rogue advisors like in any industry though yeah. you know whether it's a solicitor's accountants there's always unfortunately the odd ones that give the rest of us a bad name
1: so then I, I think my question is as advisors who sorry let me restart that my question is as advisors how can you sort of hold those other advisors accountable? Do you think that that's something that can be encouraged through, for example, more professional networks or connecting with other advisors across the country?
2: Yeah, I I think professional connections have a real big part to play in that, as well as connecting with our peers. I think historically, advisors have maybe been dubious and nervous about working with other advisors from other firms because they felt like they were the competition and they didn't want to do that i would say because of where we are now competition has gone there's too few of us there's certainly not new advisors coming into the industry i would certainly say in my experience that the demand for advice is increasing so there isn't any competition anymore so we're better off supporting each other Versus trying to to fight each other. That said, there is huge differences within the industry about how financial planning is delivered. Um, from you know national firms, where I would still argue the culture and the conduct of those firms is way off the mark compared to you know the smaller family run businesses that have a more community tie in and a relationship with the underlying client bank. In my opinion, they are potentially you know better place to to give this personalised advice that clients are looking for right now.
0: Um, what do you exactly mean by way off the mark? You know, a lot of national firms would say that you know since um, the advent of RDR, a lot of their culture has been reshaped, a lot of their practices have been reshaped. Um, what do you exactly mean by by that cultural point? Because you're right, there's a cultural point of difference, just just purely due to size, right? But what things could they be doing better right now?
2: Look, I I think it's really hard for national firms because they're they're run effectively for the benefit of external shareholders. And I think that's fundamentally where the culture is always going to be different. How you manage that, I don't know. You know, I I wouldn't want to run a national firm because I don't know how you'd get the culture the the same way in which we do as a a family run business, um, effectively. And I think it is down to that external shareholder pressure where people want profits and people want returns. So you only get that where your your advisor force becomes more of a sales force. And that's the wrong culture. That's what we can't have in financial planning is where financial advisors are pressured and they're a sales force because that's when they put the client's interest to the side. And they think about their own interests, about how am I going to get paid? How am I going to get rewarded? So it's disconnecting that in national firms. I don't know how you do it.
0: With those shareholders also comes, of course, increased resources. Um, do you not think that that can also help them with regulatory burden, with ensuring that those, that, that the culture remains uh, to do with clients and advice rather than salesy? Um, because, of course, that's why a lot of advisors do actually sell up, right? It's because they say, we can't actually do, deal with the increased burden of regulation. And we'd much rather this national firm, have, we, we'd work with them, which has the resources and the scale to provide that
2: absolutely we have greater resources but it's it's how those resources are deployed to have a benefit to the underlying clients um so yeah i'd completely take your point yes they would certainly be able to have teams of people looking at consumer duty what it means for the business and i would also accept your comment there that for smaller firms it has got more challenging the regulatory burdens are greater um we are seeing you know sm- smaller firms look to networks to try and offload that that Obligation and that ongoing liability. So there's definitely shifts happening, um, but that that's outside of this culture that I'm 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 thinking is perhaps linked to trust with the client relationship.
1: You know, I think it's a really interesting point distinguishing between, you know, the national advice firms and the big networks and um, smaller IFAs. I, I wonder whether you think that the national advice firms are sitting here thinking, oh God. What are we going to do about the fact that the public doesn't trust advisors do you think that's a conversation going on in their offices or do you think because of their scale and the reputation of their brand they're not concerned
2: honestly i don't know because i'm not in that environment um, i've been outside of the big institutions uh, realm for a number of years now so i don't know what they would be thinking i think an obvious thing to assume though Is they've sort of had it easy in the sense that they've had a growing, well, a growing aging population of financial advisors that have been looking to sell and retire. So they've not had to do much because money's been cheap and they've been able to buy smaller firms and take on clients without having to market. So maybe that's been a bit of a distraction because business has come to them.
0: And um, in terms of trusting your financial advisor to be sort of unbiased, you know, a majority of firms offer sort of independent advice. Um, A lot of people do query this and there's a school of thought going around that because there are various links with fund managers um, and advisors that advisors a lot of the time can't truly offer independent advice due to a potential conflict of interest. Um, Where do you see this and do you see this causing any kind of mistrust in advice?
2: You only have to go on my LinkedIn to get the answer to that, Zach. But uh, my my opinion, and it's only my opinion at the end of the day, but my opinion would be that if there is a obvious conflict of interest there, then that's always going to damage the trust that a client is going to have with you. So, for example, if you are operating under a, an investment management realm and you owe that investment manager 100 plus £1,000, for example, and they're the primary source and the only source of you getting paid, there's a natural conflict of interest there for that advisor to only sell the product. Now, if it's in a restricted environment, my understanding is that if a client comes to you and you're a restricted advisor and your offering doesn't best suit the client, you have to refer it onwards to an IFA. Now, I would love to know the stats from these large restricted advisory firms, how many clients do get referred onwards to an IFA department to show that, you know, where there is those natural underlying conflicts, they are being dealt with correctly. Um, I've, I've not seen those stats, but... Certainly, I think that conflict of interest is is a huge part to play in the trust arrangement, because when I see a client as an IFA, I sit on the same side as the client. The only time I get paid is when that client pays me direct, never via a product provider. So, you know, naturally, I pick product solutions based on individual merit, not because, you know, I'm owned by them or they're steering me. So again, I I think that can harm trust genuinely. But as long as a client knows the difference and how the relationship is aligned, then that's fine. I think it's where there's a a gray line where that's not clearly disclosed to a client and they don't know that that's when, you know, trust can break down in the future.
0: And moving on for a moment, just to consumer duty, I just want to ask you how the focus on good outcomes for clients will actually impact. The industry and whether this um, sort of deficit in trust will be reduced.
2: I I really hope that consumer duty will instill more trust and i'm seeing it as a positive and we've embraced it and we've made changes um you know little little things around the 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 side of what we're doing so for example we've gone cyber essential certified recently to make sure our it systems are secure as possible to protect clients data so it's little things out, out out of consumer duty that i think is a positive like that um will it work long term i i don't know i think that I think probably what it's going to take is the regulator to maybe go to a firm and demonstrate that they're not adhering to consumer duty and maybe they're they're fined or there's some repercussions that really then focuses the rest of the industry saying, ah, actually, we've got to take this seriously.
1: Mm. It's something I also want to talk about consumer duty is, is this idea of fair value or value for money that uh, a lot of firms have been focusing on, because that's supposed to represent a big shift um but so in this survey about 55 percent of clients said you know i'm highly confident in my advisor satisfied with my advice all this so all good statistics over half right but it's also not that high if you think about it and i guess the question is you know where do you think that boundary will be drawn like what is value what is it whether the client is satisfied is whether the client thinks they're getting the best deal what do you think that is to you
2: yeah it's a it's a hard question to answer and i would say that the other difficult thing we've got at the moment we experienced this with our client survey that we did uh, uh, several months ago is over the last 12 18 months markets have been incredibly volatile and most clients haven't made much money so to always survey a client during periods like that and ask them about value for money. Unfortunately clients often see the performance as the value for money driver. Um, so it's it's a difficult time to to look at that, so I would take survey results at the moment with a bit of a pinch of salt and uh, understand that clients are hurting because performance has not been great. So you know, as good as you are as an advisor, and maybe you've had several meetings and you've done some great coaching, done some cash flow modeling—that's all in our eyes really positive and strong stuff. But if the client's still four percent down for the year, they might be overlooking that and just thinking about the raw numbers. So. Um, I think we've got to look at this long term and do it on a regular basis to really see what value for money looks like and listen to clients and make sure we keep adapting and changing our, propos- our propositions accordingly. So I don't think it's something that we will get right and it stays right. It's something that we're going to have to keep working on, it, I think.
1: That Sorry, can I just jump in for a minute? I think that's a really interesting point, especially in the last year with cost of living crisis and everything affecting the markets right now. And I wonder, how much is that a conversation that you've been having with your clients? How much have they come to you and said, oh, my funds aren't performing well, your advice wasn't good, or something like that? I mean, are they able to actually draw the line?
2: Well, this is... uh... This is the power of a good financial advisor is explaining why we're where we are with the markets, why you've got to keep to the plan or make adjustments to the plan. You know, you might use previous material to show that, you know, missing out the best five days over the last 10 years, the impact it can have, you know, have they still got the cash emergency funds that they need? Have they still got the same goals and objectives? If so, it's re-educating them and it's behavioral finance this. I think one of the big jobs advisors have had over the last 18 months, and this is where we all need credit for is being a a coach and and, you know a mental toughness coach and being a counselor at times as well and almost like a a shoulder to cry on you know i'm sure i'm speaking for many advisors here that it takes its toll and we take that burden off clients and i think that's where again it's hard to put a value on that isn't it at times
0: sure Sure. I, i just want to ask lastly um you know you mentioned earlier um the legacy issues that uh, financial advice has unfortunately whether it be you know British steel pension scandals or even a banking crisis that advisors sort of get an offshoot of um how do you think the FCA in general is doing um and by extension the FOS and other such bodies in terms of improving our reputation by addressing these issues properly do you think they're quite overstretched or do you think they've got a tough job to do
2: I I I think they're probably overstretched, aren't they, as an organization, because there's a lot of moving parts in financial services and from you know banking to financial planning. Um the the, the the thing I'm most disappointed about, and you touched on it there, Zach, about the British Steel um pension transfer uh, fiasco that's going on. Clearly it's cost every good IFA money, whether it's in professional indemnity and in costs because the general market's gone up, or you know, regulatory fees or the compensation levy, it's it's impacted everyone. Um but what I've what I've really been sickened to see is that the directors from these firms that did 300 pension transfers from British Steel have been okay to set up another firm and phoenixed, you know, whether that's maybe not a directly authorised firm, but maybe they've been able to set up a firm as an AR of a network. It's still been allowed. It's phoenixing, you know, which was meant to be outlawed, but it's still gone on. Even locally, I know firms that have collapsed and that re um, reincarnated into something else whether it's you know a close family member that set it up or not I, I think that should have been and should be looked at much more closely because unfortunately um, the, the, the end thing is that they've cost the industry and good advisors a lot of money and clients have been put in potentially a worse position but they're still out there operating and again that's no good thing for trust
1: And do you think that that's because the regulation on phoenixing has some cracks in it or that people have just slipped under the radar
2: probably a bit of both i I don't know the underlying mechanics but um i I would assume that it must be both
1: yeah
0: that's a good point um was there anything else you wanted to ask
1: well there was one one thing that i wanted to bring up which was just a quote from the financial live survey that i thought was quite a funny one because it's a bit outrageous so bear with me but someone responded to the survey saying this is someone who doesn't receive financial advice they said I've got this sort of feeling with financial advisors if they were any good they'd have made their own millions by now they'd have retired early and they'd be on a beach in the Bahamas so obviously it's a bit of a stereotype but it does reflect some misconceptions that people still have about advisors maybe from the past or from media or whatever it is and i think that some people believe that you know financial advisor is supposed to make you rich so they'd be rich themselves or something like that i mean what i'm wondering is do you think that's fair and also what do you think people think is actually the role of a financial advisor
2: it's probably quite scary what um, some people think the role of a financial advisor <laughs> is um financial advice isn't about making millions overnight it's about putting good steps in place to create a financial plan that allows you to reach a long-term objective whether that's buying your first home whether it's retiring early whether it's protecting your money so if you need care that you've got money available to cover that whether it's reducing liabilities on death in terms of inheritance tax it's not about getting rich quick and it is a profession just like solicitors and accountants if if accountants were really good at accountancy, then they'd be retired on a beach. But no one ever says that, do they? Everyone goes in to see their accountant every year and pay them and do the books, and it's it's the job's done. It's no different for a financial advisor. We're here, you know, a, along the way to keep monitoring those steps, make little changes, make recomm- recommendations here and there. You know, if you get sick or get ill, you've got a policy in place to cover that. It's little steps, and you know, there's certainly financial advisors out there that get uh, paid very handsomely for it and I would say generally you know the salaries that financial advisors get are good and they've increased of late because there's fewer of us but yeah it's not about getting rich quick we're not here you know robbing people's pension funds and buying jet skis. Um, maybe if you do find a financial advisor that is uh, quickly getting rich then maybe they are doing something wrong but for the most part I think it's just about those little steps.
0: Yeah thank you for that. I think that's a great note to end on. Rob, thank you so much for coming in today. And Alicia, thank you so much for your questions too. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to The Advice Show with myself, Zach Sharif, reporter at NMA, fellow reporter, Alicia Hagopian, and co-founder of Celtic Financial Planning, Rob Lewis. For any questions, please please feel free to tweet us at NewModelAdvisor or email us at nmateam at citywide.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.